If a child can learn and has the fundamental skill of being able to sit for short periods of time, to listen to an adult other than their parent, they will pick up on all the academic skills that they need in kindergarten. Welcome to the Raising Young Children in Wake County podcast, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, former school psychologist, currently a child psychologist, and a former parent of a child in Project's demonstration preschool. I also recently served as the board chair and am currently still serving on the Project Enlightenment Foundation as a board member. The goal of this podcast is to expand services to the young children in Wake County through parent education. In this 10-episode podcast series, we will include interviews with experts in early childhood education, psychology, and pediatrics to discuss topics including the importance of play, managing toddler behavior, language and motor development, kindergarten readiness, how to set up routines, and parent mental wellness. Today, we are going to be talking all about kindergarten readiness. And so today we have Bonnie DeLeon. Bonnie holds a Master's of Education in Early Childhood Education from Kent State University. The Master's program at Kent was interdisciplinary with an equal representation of working professionals from PT, OT, speech, nursing, and psychology. She and another student represented Early Childhood Special Education. As the Ready to Learn Coordinator at Project Enlightenment, she provided professional development, program development and coaching to parent-child facilitators in Wake County Public Schools for families of children 18 months to kindergarten. As a teacher-parent consultant with Project Enlightenment, Bonnie provided consultation, education, training to teachers in child care centers and preschools. She has also served as the statewide early literacy project coordinator for the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction been a clinical instructor and supervisor in the Department of Child Development at Meredith College and worked as a consultant clinical instructor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Center for Literacy and Disability Studies in the School of Education. Before moving to North Carolina, Bonnie was an early childhood specialist and interventionist working with children between birth to three years old and their parents. So thank you, Bonnie, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this subject. It's it's an exciting time for children and parents. It is. And so I wanted to make sure we covered the social, emotional, and early developmental reasons that our kids are ready for kindergarten. Anyone listening to this who is curious about the nuts and bolts and the logistics of registering for kindergarten, um, head on back to episode six and catch some of those details. So let's dive in. So the first question I often get as a child psychologist and um, talking with parents about kindergarten readiness is to determine if a child has the skills ready. So what are the skills that parents should be looking for to determine if their child is ready to enter kindergarten? Well, I hope that this is consistent with how parents feel about readiness there was a study done with kindergarten teachers. And the question was asked of them, what do you think children really need to come into kindergarten knowing you know, what to do? So it was interesting, their responses were self-help skills, 
92.5% of teachers felt that self-help skills were very important. And if you spent any time in a school cafeteria, you know that opening your milk carton or, you know, I'm not sure what they're using now, if it's a straw that is pushed down in or if, if it's a curtain that needs to be opened with two hands. Uh, but that's a really important skill to have. Teachers have very little time, particularly kindergarten teachers and their teacher assistants. So having to spend time going around to 25 little <laughs> kindergartners to do something like that is going to take away time that should be spent elsewhere. The other thing that kindergarten teachers felt was really important was for children to be able to separate from their parents without anxiety. And I think in the situation that we're currently in, having um, successfully survived the pandemic, I think that the opportunities that children have had for separation, for opportunities to play with um, neighbor kids, to go to story hour, to go to a craft class has been reduced. So I think that is a very important skill is, uh, and I think parents really need to prepare their children for that. The other thing that kindergarten teachers really felt was important for new students to have under their belt is children need to respect the rights and the possessions of others. So, I, I think we've gotten really good about standing six feet away from others, but <laughs> we're going to have to kind of cuddle in a little bit. So teaching children what is their personal space, not to get too close to others, looking for signs in another child that might be communicating to your child, hey, you're getting too close, or I can't hear you. Can you come closer? So Looking for those kind of cues, helping children to develop those skills, I think is really important. The other thing is self-control, self-regulation. It's a very important skill for children to develop before they come to kindergarten. We know that in kindergarten, children have to sit. And that is a lot of the way that learning happens, is sitting in a group with other children taking either direction or information from that kindergarten teacher. So having the ability to sit for short periods of time, maybe 15 minutes, being able to do an activity independently during that time would be another skill that we look for. It's very difficult, again, for the teacher to maintain control of the classroom if there's a lot of bouncing around going on. So as you can see, a lot of this is not academic skills. So we are really talking about being able to tie your shoes. And if your child, if that's too hard of a skill to really be working on at this time, get your child shoes with Velcro and teach them how to get them on and off. On the playground, again, I've spent a lot of time on playgrounds with uh, young children and untied shoes very often just go as it is. Teachers don't have time to do it. 
And we certainly don't want children to be tripping. We want them to develop good gross motor skills on the playground. So please work on that. The other thing is that goes along with that particular skill, I think, is learning how to take your coat off, putting your coat on, being able to take your lunchbox, be able to lift it up. Uh, We have cubbies in the schools, and oftentimes uh, there's a little shelf where things like that are kept. So we have to keep things really organized and in the classroom. And that is something that certainly can be a a good skill for children to have. Another thing that I I may have mentioned, but I think is extremely important, is that children need to be able to take direction from an adult that's not their parent. So looking for opportunities to develop a skill like that is extremely important. So we need children to be able to follow directions. You know, if you look at a hallway in any public school, keeping that line together is important for safety and just um, moving from one place to another. So those are things that really need to be work done. A child really needs to be able to communicate with an adult outside of their family um, what their needs are. So oftentimes, a child in a big family in particular might not need to say a whole lot to get their needs met. Other siblings may interpret what the younger child needs. So the, the child is really used to getting what they want with very few words. So that's something to really consider because if a child, you know, is hurting, has a tummy ache, um, has to go to the bathroom, those things really need to be communicated clearly. And for children that are English language learners, it's fine if they know how to communicate those things in their primary language. It doesn't have to be English. We oftentimes have um, other professionals in the room that speak Spanish in addition to our teachers who are very good at picking up on the basics. So that is extremely important. Taking turns. Kindergarten is all about taking turns. We cannot do everything at the same time. So working on that skill is another important um, skill. Um, And I think... Being able to follow routines, mm-hmm. being able to handle a little bit of a change. Mm-hmm. We don't want children to become so routinized that uh, anything that disturbs that routine for the day causes a meltdown. We don't want to go that far, but we certainly want children to anticipate what's coming next. Parents can work on that at home. We're going to be going to the library today. What do you think we need to bring with us? And, you know, try and uh, involve the child in the routines and the things that are necessary to go to the next step. Did I cover a lot of what you're thinking about? Yes, absolutely. And so many of these things, as everyone is listening might sound a little overwhelming, like that is a lot of skills and it is, but so many of these things kids will learn just by going and doing in your community and in your home. But some parents may be thinking, 
wow, I was thinking more along the lines of academics, like reading and counting and writing. So what would you say to parents who are kind of really feeling like, oops, I kind of thought I was going to need to need to be thinking about early literacy and things like that, and not all of these things. So what are the downsides of focusing too much on the academics and not enough on all the really rich daily skills that you just listed for us? Well, I think the downside is oftentimes communicated by the child. If children are really maybe coerced to learn academic skills that are above their level of development, they can get turned off to learning. Mm -hmm. And that we do not want to have happen. So we want our goal is for children to be successful all the time. If a child can learn and has the fundamental skill of being able to sit for short periods of time to listen to an adult other than their parent, they will pick up on all the academic skills that they need in kindergarten. However, if they cannot sit and cannot listen to the teacher, cannot take turns, that becomes an issue. It's the social skills that are extremely important and the lack of social skills is the reason that children are not successful in kindergarten. And that's, uh, the research is very, very clear about that. Mm -hmm. Another thing is being playful with some of these emergent literacy skills or math skills is important. So we take for granted, I think, that we do a lot of practice in our homes, like having your four-year-old set the table, put out, you know, the, the utensils on each plate, put out a napkin at each plate. That's really one-to-one correspondence. And I think it's important for children to hear those math words too. This you're practicing one-to-one correspondence. Look at you. Let's count how many people are going to be at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and then you go around and count. So you're working on counting, you're working on math skills, but it's in the context of the family and the child's interests. So I'm not saying that literacy and math skills are not important. They absolutely are. But the context is extremely important. And I've studied literacy a lot. And what I have found is being functional with literacy is the absolute best way for children to be introduced to it. For instance, I really believe in teaching children to write as well as read at exactly the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. So for instance, when I was teaching at Meredith College and I would come home and I'm making my notes, my three-year-old had a pad in front of him and he would take his crayon and pretend like he was taking notes. And I would comment on that. Oh, look at you, Daniel, you're taking your notes just like me. And in that way, children see what they're doing as functional. Another idea or example of this is making out your grocery list. Very simple thing that we all do or need to do, myself included. 
when you're writing out that list, engage your child. What are some things that we need to buy at the store? And if you have a picture, perhaps, of the cereal box, uh, the milk carton that you can cut out and maybe glue on the child's grocery list, then it, it, it's another example of, hey, you're reading. Look, you, you said cereal. You got it. it. There it is. We need to check that off and make sure that we get that at the store. And another thing that I think is so simple, but provides so much gratification for children and adults alike, is writing notes. Writing notes with the, the letter composition, the structure of uh, the letters or the numbers is absolutely not important. The only thing that is important is that child making marks on a card that they think says, dear grandma. And that will bring so much joy to that grandparent to receive a note from their grandchild and they'll express it to the child. So what can be more motivating to learn how to write than to give your grandma a smile and she'll write back? I had a class at Washington Elementary School that I I was so engaged with. And I was um, going on a trip and I had my little dog with me and I was taking the dog to the dog sitter. Well, they were so engaged with the dog. They loved the dog. And I said, well, how about if Roxy writes you some notes when we're on our trip? So I created a, a situation where I would send notes to the teacher and the children couldn't wait to write notes back to Roxy. They, it was a, just a very natural, organic literacy experience. And the most important part about that is they were learning the function of writing. The function right. of writing is to communicate. So right. it's heavy, heavy, heavy. But reading to your child every night is really the best thing that you can do to develop literacy skills. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes if it's a short story, ask your child to repeat the story back. Mm -hmm. And then in that way, they're really using their cognitive skills as well as their communication skills and their literacy skills to put that all together. So I I think that is how you introduce academics every single day at home in a natural way, but not forcing a child to sit down and and trace letters and numbers and, you know, repeating, counting up to a hundred or whatever is, is really not as important as those social skills. Right. And thank you so much for those contextual examples, because, you know, we know this in our work, working through a developmental lens with children that they have to develop the context before they put the skills into it. And so why are we writing a letter? Why are we making a list? So it doesn't really matter what actually is on the paper. It's the intention, the social intention of the list or the letter that really matters. So I want to help parents remember that. And then also a, a small caveat to this that I've seen emerge in the last 10 years that's going to be a barrier for young parents. And we just have to think about it is 
we don't write notes to each other in front of our kids anymore. We text Mm -hmm. people and we don't write grocery lists anymore. We usually have an app for that. So I want you to think about all of the things you use literacy for that are in your phone. And when your child is young, make it intentional to externalize some of those things. So you might have it in an app in your phone, but sit down and write a list with your child. You know, most of the time, the only times kids are making lists these days is a birthday list and a holiday list. (laughs) And so if we're just doing it twice a year, that's not very much a practice. So I love the idea of, you know, writing to pets, writing to extended family that don't live nearby, And also just intentionally making these lists because I think, you know, I'm in my forties. So I, you know, remember writing grocery lists when I was Mm -hmm. young, but I do think that if you're a parent, you know, under 35 or under 30, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to actually think about this because you're probably pretty, we're all pretty ingrained at this point to use typing or technology or even voice commands for um, different lists we make. So we, we don't want to get into habits that, you know, get in the way of our kids developing and being able to practice some of these literacy skills. Absolutely. And I can give you another example. Yeah, I'd love to hear one. For parents, I think one of the greatest forms of flattery for a child is to write down what they are saying. So for instance, if you see your child playing maybe with a pretend kitchen or going into your cabinets and and taking a spoon in a pot and pretending like they're cooking along with you, you can invite your child to make up a story about that. So just saying, I love how you are really working on making something with your spoon in your pot I wonder if we could just, do you mind if I write down what you tell me and we'll make a story about it? So what if we said once upon a time, and then you provide that intro. Usually I've never had a child say they didn't want to do it. So they are just so flattered that you're doing this and it's so simple and you can ask questions if they get kind of stuck or, you know, they're they're not coming up with another idea. But you're writing that down and sharing it with the other members of your family, maybe over the dinner table, is going to help your child be so excited about writing and reading. And that's why in kindergarten, in classrooms, We display child work. We display stories that children have told us. We display their attempts at writing with artwork, all of that. And artwork is a form of literacy. Mm -hmm. So using tools to create, you know, really creative examples is working on the fine motor skills that really need to happen before a child can hold a pencil. You know, and make marks that will eventually become letters and numbers. That's really helpful. Yeah. So let's um, move move into talking about the communication skills that are needed, because, of course, literacy is very intertwined with what we're trying to communicate. What would you say are the communication skills that are needed to be ready for kindergarten and how can parents nurture those in a four year old? 
Well, I think first and foremost, it's extremely important for communication skills to be very present with your child. If you're not looking at your child, if you're not showing with your body position that you're really interested in what they have to say, that's going to take away the desire to attempt to communicate with others. I see um, parents picking up children at childcare on their phones, and the child is so excited to talk about what they did or to show what they did today, and the parent is disengaged. I almost want to cry when I see that because the opportunity for good communication is right there. The child is excited. They're excited to see you. They're excited to share. So my first thought and um, thing that parents can do at home is to get down on their level and actually maybe even extend your hands out or hold the child or hold their arms and say, I, I hear you. I can't wait to hear what you did at school today so that they are learning that communication is eye contact, is listening, and is presence. So those are all things that we need to have. So if a child, for instance, is at school and thinks that he'll be able to communicate with his teacher across the room and say, Miss Sally, Miss Sally, I need to go to the bathroom. I don't know that they're going to get their needs met because classrooms are noisy. So learning how to get proximity, how to get close to someone before you engage is another skill that I think children need um, to learn. I also think, as we said before, being able to communicate well to an adult other than somebody in the family. And it doesn't need to be real complicated. It can be gestures. If a child isn't articulate or is working on those kind of skills, using gestures is absolutely fine and can communicate everything that needs to be communicated. But another opportunity, another skill that children need to have is to be able to follow directions given by someone other than their parent. So we look at these things as kind of a developmental hierarchy. The first thing you do is learn how to follow one direction. Go get your book bag. Then you're building on that by saying, go get your book bag and your coat. So now they've got to do two things. So that's called a two-step direction. And for kindergartners, we want them to be able to get to a three-step direction. So it could be Go to your cubby, get your lunchbox and your coat and line up. Very common direction that we hear in kindergarten. So you can practice those things at, at um, home. Another important part of communication that needs to be emphasized is letting your children know what they are doing specifically. So if you're playing with words, you're writing a story, and you um, say, the dog was sitting on a log. <gasps> That's rhyming. You just rhymed. Dog, log. That's called a rhyming word. So what we have found in doing some developmental assessments of children, we 
are asking them, tell me two words that rhyme or pick out the words that rhyme. And some children have never heard the word rhyme before. Mm -hmm. So letting them know that they are using rhyming words, words that sound alike, math words like counting. Math literacy is extremely important, too. And a lot of our little children fall behind because no one has ever spoken to them and let them know that they're counting, that they're grouping, one-to-one correspondence, things that children at this age can do. Yeah. So how how can parents nurture some of these things, especially when it comes to um, the connection between communication and social emotional? So um, for instance, I'm just thinking about examples of feeling words, you know, at this age, because we've covered a lot of, you know, motor needs and logistics and following directions. But what about frustration um, and, and a child feeling frustrated and how to communicate that? Um, what's expected for kindergarten? Well, emotional literacy is really developing in four and five-year-olds. Before that, they really don't have the words to describe how they feel. There are lots of books in the Parent Teacher Resource Center that work on these kind of skills. There are stories that children can relate to, and they go through sequences of interactions that children frequently have, either with a sibling or another child, where there's a conflict. I never get to use the. I never get to use the ball someone else is always using it. So identifying the feeling for the child saying, you look really frustrated. Mm -hmm. Frustrated means you're not getting what you want. Is that how you're feeling? And kind of reflecting back to the child. I think also modeling those things. I don't know about you, but I get frustrated during the day, especially now because I have a broken arm and a broken kneecap. So frustration is part of every day for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is another opportunity to model it for children and to say, I'm so frustrated. I can't get my sweater on because of this cast. It makes me mad um, using all the feelings that children have. And then when they're going through a feeling like that, Reflecting back to maybe your experience, oh, I know what it feels like. Boy, your face is going like this, and your voice is sounding like this. And I'm wondering if you're feeling mad and really bringing it into a whole body kind of focus so that they, when they're with a friend or a brother or a sister and it is happening at home, as a parent, you can say, um, Trey, looks pretty frustrated that you're not sharing the ball with him. Do you see how his face is going? And how helping children to look at facial expressions, at body position, and the emphasis on words, the cadence, and all those kinds of things is very important. So that they're learning, oh, that's what Trey does when he gets really mad. His face goes like this, and his body goes like that. And his voice goes like this, then they know what Matt is now. 
So it'll be much more easy for them to describe that feeling to someone else instead of just acting out, which is what three-year-olds do and two-year-olds do. Mm -hmm. They don't have the, the words that go along with that. So, so many opportunities in books um, to help your child through those little conflicts and the big feelings that they may have and being able to talk about it as you read the book. So you're not reading a, that kind of book all the way through. You're stopping and saying, have you ever felt that way? Has anyone ever taken a toy from you? You know, and then they're relating what is happening in the book to their own experience. We have so many opportunities to create activities for children at home in the Parent Teacher Resource Center. So parents can go in and they can make an emotional wheel with pictures of all the common feelings that children have. And a child can actually take a clock arrow, which is on that circle. And the circle is a paper plate, very simple. And even if they don't say how they're feeling, they can point to it and say this. And then you can expand on that and say, oh, you're sad. Are you telling me that you're sad? Oh, can you tell me more about that? What and, and really try and empathize. We mm -hmm. all have feelings. And the worst thing that can possibly happen is for someone to say, stop crying. Well, it's not easy for me to stop crying when, you know, I am not able to uh, get up the stairs <laughs> at this point in time. So um, that, that's another point is to facilitate moving through emotions right. by accepting it, that right. your child is actually feeling that way. Did I cover and, it enough? Yes, definitely. And I will add on to that. In, in my work, I know that one of the most important things parents can do at this age is just label the feeling and then also follow it up with the comment about how you are going to regulate yourself. Because so many times we, I will work with kids who by the time they, they get to me and, and, and they're feeling, they know that they're having big feelings and they're having trouble controlling their reactions. They feel like the feeling and the behavior are the same thing. Uh -huh. And we have to tease apart the fact that you can feel mad without hitting someone. Those are two different things. So we want to help by showing kids, I am so frustrated with this thing that keeps breaking. I need to switch out the tool that I'm using, or I'm just so overwhelmed by, it could be something that we can't even control. I'm so overwhelmed by something that happened at work today. I'm going to go stand out on the porch, get some fresh air. I'm going to go for a walk and move my body because that helps me feel better when I have a lot of mad feelings in my body. So always follow it up with the action you're going to take. That's the healthy thing to help move the feeling through you and out without hurting others. And um, at this age, as we've been talking about throughout this whole podcast series, kids, kids are watching us. They're learning by example. It's much more developmentally appropriate for them to learn through the context around them. Um, Absolutely. And it, again, writing a, a book about that, maybe yeah. taking of you being mad or your child being frustrated so that it gives the visual that they can go back to mm -hmm. and you can read it at a different time when there isn't a conflict going on. Yeah, and I love that. Talk, 
oh, I need to take a deep breath. I need to do some deep breathing. As you mentioned, Emily, that's one thing that we as parents maybe don't think of as an important skill that really is best taught by us as parents is self-regulation and how to calm yourself down Mm -hmm. and how to get back to a feeling of I'm okay again. And we have so many resources that talk about those things at the Resource Center books. We have some audio and CDs that parents can check out that help children to, to learn how to calm their body down, progressive relaxation um, at, at nighttime if they're not ready to go to bed. Those kinds right. of things are talked about in these books and these um, CDs. So that might be something that parents would be interested in learning about. Yeah. So we can't ignore the fact that most of the five-year-olds in the world right now um, were two when COVID quarantine started. And um, when you think about what happens developmentally between two and five, and the fact that many children were not getting the enriching social interactions that most everyone else in the world got in a different time frame of not having COVID, you know, of course, we don't know all the details of what this will look like years from now. I often caution parents not to compare because absolutely everyone was in this situation. But as, you know, an early childhood expert, um, I'm really curious to get your feedback on how you think that, you know, five-year-olds might be having some weaker skills in these areas because of the COVID quarantine and also what parents can do between now and starting kindergarten if they have a four-year-old this year for enriching their child's social interactions if they're really wanting to just get them ready. Yeah, and we want them to be successful in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. We want them to be able to separate from family when they walk through the door. We want them to be so excited. So I think sharing that excitement is really important. Parents need to model, I'm excited because you're going to kindergarten. And, oh, what do you think it's going to be like? And talking about maybe when you were in kindergarten and what that experience was like will be helpful. But the social interaction is something that I think we need to be very intentional about because we have been in our homes for two and a half years. So during the time that children are learning those social skills, maybe they haven't had uh, enough opportunity. So I would encourage parents, now that we can come out into the world, uh, go to the library, get a library card, check out books, go to the story hour. That's a great opportunity to help a child to learn how to sit, listen, and take directions from another adult. So there's lots of opportunities. Our park systems have wonderful classes where children are outdoors, which they haven't been, but exploring nature again and and looking for opportunities for the calming perspective that being out in nature can give to adults and children. I think being in nature is something that we all have missed and we need to teach how satisfying and how wonderful it is to go out on a day like today and with the leaves blowing and stopping and listening to what that actually sounds like to pick up things as we go on a walk 
and put together maybe a little book or a little art project where we just glue the acorns and the leaves and the different things that we found and maybe looking things up, teaching children about how we can use the computer to look things up. I wonder what the seed is. And again, you're just working on problem solving about being persistent. I think persistence is something that young children are just getting used to. If you're frustrated with something, can you keep going? Can you keep moving through? Can you think of another way? I wonder if there's someone that could help us. Those are some good social skills too. But if there is an opportunity for children to go to a preschool program, maybe a church um, program for children when the parents are at a service, gives an opportunity for that separation from families and it works on all the things that we've talked about earlier. We have a lot of wonderful resources here in Wake County. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Ready to Learn program, but in my estimation, it is a wonderful opportunity for parents and children to come together to learn these social skills. Tell us about Ready to Learn, because I'm not sure everyone knows about it. Okay. Well, it's, it's kind of a hidden secret. I think it's been around in the school system for years. We accept children at 18 months into our classes. We, currently, we have four elementary schools that have ready-to-learn classes in them. What we do initially after an application is received, we do a developmental screening on the child. So if you're concerned about, is my four-year-old doing everything that a four-year-old should do, that developmental screening can be a, a really good educational opportunity for parents to learn about where their children are developmentally. Then, you know, we have short classes. Um, it depends on the age of the child. For 18-month-olds, it might be a 45-minute class. And then it gets progressively longer as children are older. And a beautiful thing happens um, when children are in that pre-K year, we have what we call kindergarten camps. And these are held again at those elementary schools, but it's almost like a little introduction to what kindergarten is going to be like for both children and parents. At this point, at kindergarten camp, the parent is separated from the child, and they've been going to regular learning classes all along, so this is not a problem. And they go, the parents go and learn about kindergarten readiness with another ready-to-learn staff member, and the children go through a really shortened kindergarten day. So they'll have the morning meeting, they'll have a snack, which they have to get themselves. And then there may be some time for some puzzle work, which would be a math opportunity, time on the playground. And they're learning how to transition. These are all things that kindergartners do all day long is transition. And they need to do it keeping themselves together. So it provides that opportunity. Then parents, and this is maybe a six-week opportunity, 
parents can have the opportunity to go tour a school. They get to go in the lunchroom. They get to see what a lunchroom is like, what children need to do. They need to be able to pick up a tray without spilling it on the floor. And going through the line and communicating to that lunchroom staff member that they want peas and not corn today. And they'll go to the gym. They'll look at the playground. They'll meet with the kindergarten teacher and be able to ask specific questions. So going into a kindergarten class is really enlightening to our parents because they're not used to seeing children sitting at tables together and being quiet. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's a great opportunity. So I, I would encourage family members to look up the Ready to Learn program on the Wake County Public Schools website. It's under programs for ch- young children, I believe. And um, you'll see the opportunities there. Okay. And in addition to that, check out the NC Pre-K program mm-hmm. if your child would qualify for that program. It's a free, developmentally appropriate, very high quality preschool program for four-year-olds. And the intent is to get those children ready for kindergarten. They're um, housed in some childcare centers and some elementary schools. So that is another little gem (laughs) that Mm -hmm. parents need to be aware of. And lastly, I want to mention parent counseling. Because that, I think, can be monumental in terms of helping children and families get ready for that kindergarten year. I know for myself, I had concerns about discipline, about behavioral issues, about developmental issues. And I was lucky enough to work at Project Enlightenment so I could ask my colleagues um, (laughs) for help. But this is a free service. You can do it virtually. You can um, do it over the phone or over your computer. You can come in if you prefer to and meet with a parent counselor. And that time is just for you and your child to really come up with some strategies to make your family life smoother and more enjoyable for everybody. And even I, child psychologist, accessed parent counseling at Project Enlightenment when my son was four. So it's incredibly helpful to just get some objective feedback and um, even knowing what we know in our profession, you can't jump outside of your brain and get objective feedback. So it's really, really helpful. So I'd encourage anyone to look into that too. So for our final question today, I, I know there could be parents listening to this who are questioning if their child is ready for kindergarten and are in a position potentially because of their child's birthday date or because they um, feel like their child doesn't have some of the skills that we've talked about today, where they're considering doing a year, an extra year of pre-K. Sometimes this is called a transitional pre-K classroom or or transitional kindergarten. Um, And of course, Before we dive into this last question, in Wake County, if your child turns five before August 31st, they are eligible to start kindergarten. So some parents will think if they've got, you know, a June, July or August baby, they're thinking about how um, their child is going to be young for their grade and um, or old for their grade and and those types of things that that come up. So what are the downsides um, to not starting kindergarten 
when you're eligible at five? And what are the questions that usually come to you about this topic? Well, it's anxiety producing, I think, for families because kindergarten has changed over the years and more is required of children. But the studies are still very, very clear that when children are eligible, like you said, when they turn five before August 31st in that year that they are supposed to go to kindergarten, they're ready. And part of the responsibility is for us as educators and school staff to be ready for children. Whatever they bring to us, we can um, move forward. So waiting can cause some delay of services. It can mean that perhaps your child has received PTOT speech from the school system as a four-year-old and not going into kindergarten where they could continue to receive those services. If they go to a transitional private kindergarten or an extra year of pre-K, they're not going to get those services. So parents are going to have to pay for those services because certainly the children need them, whereas they could have them free if their child went to a public school program. Mm -hmm. And I think we also need to look at children's interpretation of that. So if you're verbalizing, I don't think you're ready. I think we'll do another year. What is that communicating to your child that eh, you're not good enough to go to kindergarten right now and uh, that you're not ready? And that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, it it can affect children's self-esteem. If uh, Justin next door is five and he's going to kindergarten, he's going on the bus and he's going to big boy school and all of that and your child isn't then that creates some social dynamics that are going to last as long as you're in that neighborhood. So I think those are some things to to consider. If you wait, you may have a child that is very, very tall when they do go to kindergarten. And having a child that was extremely tall (laughs) for their age can be challenging for that child and their social and emotional development. So all indicators are that when your child is eligible, a good idea is to send them. I don't know if you have some other comments. Yeah, I'll just add that, you know, today we're talking in in generalities. um, And I also come to this conversation with the lens of kids who by four or five have been diagnosed with with autism Mm -hmm. or ADHD or, you know, a developmental difference that impacts their ability to sit, their ability mm-hmm. to follow directions, their ability to follow through independently with some of these fine motor things. So it can be very child specific. That's the only caveat I will add. And I would just encourage everyone to consult with your team. You know, if you have a speech language pathologist or you have, a, I mean, I think the best person to answer this question for you is your child's pre-K teacher. The, who is the who is the teacher that has been playing and working with and, you know, having fun with your four-year-old every day or your, um, your child that's turned five in the spring, you know, mm-hmm. and 
that teacher will be able to give you incredibly accurate information because they know (laughs) what's going on in kindergarten that you may have anxieties as a parent as to, you know, not knowing what kindergarten is going to bring or not knowing if your child is ready. But at the end of the day, that that teacher, that preschool teacher is going to have probably the best information for you. And I would just encourage parents to consider all of those things. Consider what we know about, about, you know, education and development, but also, you know, your child best. And so thinking through who knows them best as well, if you need another objective opinion. That's a wonderful point. And our wonderful preschool teachers have the availability of calling in a teacher parent consultant from Project Enlightenment to maybe help a little bit with that um, recommendation or some strategies that the preschool teacher can be working on during the year that may help that child be able to sit a little bit longer. And teacher parent consultants also work with kindergarten teachers. So sometimes we can go into a kindergarten class, notice that, boy, we have a lot of of busy children that do not want to sit still for very long at all. We can create a sensory center, a get your wiggles out center that they can go to. Maybe the teacher could give them a, a ticket. Would you like to go to the sensory center? And children can do jumping jacks. They can do some sensory things. They can stomp up and down. Things that are not appropriate to do in a group But if they get that kind of input to their bodies, maybe it'll help them to sit a little bit longer. So there are some strategies that that we can implement if you're worried about those kind of issues. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for joining us, Bonnie. Um, Is there anything you want to add? We are um, pretty much at time. But if there's anything (laughs) you really feel like um, you really think is important for parents of rising kindergartners to know. I really think it's important to share your enthusiasm and to increase their confidence that they are going to have a wonderful experience and follow through on that when they get home. Talk with them about not just how was your day, good or bad, very closed questions, but open-ended ones. Tell me your favorite part about today. You know, those kind of things can be extremely important. I wrote notes to my son and put them in his lunch bag until he was in middle school. And he finally said, mom, please stop. (laughs) But my mother did that. It's sort of a family tradition Mm -hmm. where my mother wrote me a note every day. And even though I couldn't read it in kindergarten, I could hand it to the lunch mom or the teacher and she would read it to me. Or maybe it was just a heart that that to me said, oh, my mom still loves me, <laughs> you know, or I can hold on to that and I, I can't wait to see her. So being enthusiastic about the experience, I think, is extremely important. And go to those cafeterias, help your child learn how to yes. hold a tray to tell the, the people in the cafeteria line what they want instead of you ordering for them and make it a game. Practice it at at home. You can get those trays at Dollar Tree now and you could pretend like you're in the kindergarten lunchroom. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a joyful time and I hope that everyone out there 
is excited and, and can share that joy with their children. for listening to Raising Young Children in Wake County, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation, which you can find at projectenlightenmentfoundation.org. We would love for you to subscribe to this show and share it with your friends and fellow parents. We're all in this together, and we hope we can make a difference in the lives of parents and children. Thanks to KNL Gates, a global law firm with offices in Raleigh and RTP, for their generous contribution to make this podcast happen. Thank you to our sponsors, the Empire Gives Back Foundation and Empire Eats, which includes the downtown Raleigh restaurants, City, Gravy, Raleigh Times, Mecca, and the Pit Authentic Barbecue, bringing great food to the community as well as supporting local causes, especially those that touch the lives of children. Thanks to BHDP, an award-winning international architectural firm, which is recognized for intelligent, innovative, and inspiring design solutions in architecture, planning, and interior design. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we'll see you again soon on Raising Young Children in Wake County.